with that, we are going to continue on in our gospel series, which we've taken a break for the last few weeks as we went through Christmas, and Pastor Ben shared with us. And so, if you have a Bible, uh, we're going to be in the book of Matthew and Mark today. You can open up to that area. Our first scripture, when we get there, will be in Matthew chapter 9. Last time we were in the Gospels, we talked about this amazing story of Jesus healing the woman who had the bleeding issue. She had been bleeding menstrually for 12 years and could not get healing no matter what she did. And so Jesus does this amazing thing. He heals her kind of in the same timeline. He also brings Jairus' daughter back from the dead. Those are pretty amazing things to heal somebody who's been sick for 12 years, to bring a little girl back from the dead. And so there are people following him everywhere. As I've shared before, he's at the height of his public ministry at this point. People are surrounding him. His popularity is growing. People are seeking him and sick people are coming to him because they've heard about the miraculous things that he has done. And you can imagine how word would spread through the world like wildfire that this prophet, this rabbi, Jesus, just brought a little girl back from the dead. As we jump back into reading through the four gospel stories in chronological order, we're going to move from those stories, which are talked about in all of the uh, synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and then chronologically, we'll get, jump back to Matthew, and we're going to read a couple stories that are only talked about in Matthew. He's the only one that tells us about them. So if you have a Bible, like I said, Matthew chapter 9 Verse 27 is where we're going to jump in to our study today. And as Jesus passed on from there, talking about where he was with Jairus, two blind men followed him, crying aloud, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he entered the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? And they said to him, Yes, Lord. And he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it done to you. And their eyes were opened. And Jesus sternly warned them, See that no one knows about it. But they went away and spread his fame throughout the district. Fresh off of bringing a 12-year-old girl back from the dead, Jesus is going away from there. And it says, As he passed from there, and the idea here is like Jesus can barely even leave one place where he's doing miraculous things before other people are approaching him and asking him to do more miraculous things. All of you mamas can understand this. You can't take two steps without somebody saying, Mama, Mama, I need, I want, give me, I'm hungry. Like, right? This is kind of what Jesus is going through. He can't take two steps in any direction without somebody saying, I need something from you. And these men are actually following Jesus, which is kind of interesting to me because they're blind. How do two blind men follow Jesus unless there's somebody helping them follow? Or are they just hearing the crowd as they go? But Matthew tells us that they're following Jesus and that they are crying aloud, have mercy on us, son of David. And that's a pretty massive thing to say to somebody. Because when they say have mercy on us, son of David, they're not just saying have mercy on us, Jesus, 
this prophet, this rabbi, when they call him son of David, they are declaring, they are making a statement of faith that he is the Messiah that Israel has been waiting for. Because the only person that you would call son of David is that Messiah. And they are the first people in the book of Matthew, other than Matthew himself, to call Jesus the son of David. They make this profession, even these two blind men understand who he is. They believe that all the promises of God to mankind are coming through this one man. That all of the Old Testament will come to fruition through him. And these blind men see something that no one else is seeing. That Jesus is not just a healer. He's not just a teacher. He is the Savior. As Jesus hears them, he enters into a house They follow him in, crying aloud, have mercy on the son of David. And Jesus responds to them by asking them a question. And what he's asking them for is a profession of faith. Do you believe that I can do this? And they say, yes, Lord. And I think we miss that answer a little bit. We skip over this. Right? Familiarity breeds contempt, right? We just kind of read through it real quick because we call Jesus Lord all the time. But they say, yes, Lord. They call Jesus Lord. That's not his name. That is a title. And when they say, you are Lord, they are saying, you are our master. You are the one in charge of our lives. You are the, ones we, the one that we will submit our entire lives to. They're saying, you are the Lord of our lives. We submit to your authority, and we declare that our lives belong to you. And then Jesus just simply touches their eyes, and he says, listen, according to your faith, be it done to you, and they are able to see. And we don't know for sure if these men have been blind from birth, but it's most likely that they have. And the first thing that they ever see, or at the very least, first thing they've seen in a very long time, is their Savior. Their eyes are opened for the first time, and they see Jesus, their Messiah, their Lord. It reminded me of something uh, from from seminary. I went to uh, a class, and uh, the teacher, his name was Dr. Berger, Dr. Berger was an interesting guy. He would carry around a little rubber chicken in his little pocket right here all the time, like a little mini one. And when you'd ask him, like, what's with the chicken, he'd be like, started the conversation, didn't it? Like, he's just very interesting, like, fun guy. He, he taught rhetoric and, and public speaking. And uh, when we got to know him, he told us a story that blew my mind. He had gone on to the mission field as a young man right after getting married. In his early 20s, he and his new wife go out onto the mission field. And at some point, he was swimming in some water. A parasite got into his eyes and destroyed his vision, and he went completely blind in his 20s. And he's telling this story, and and I almost didn't believe it. I, I had never even heard of something like that, but it happened. He lost his vision. They had to come home from the mission field because he wasn't able to serve in the way that he had been serving before. He comes back and he decides 
as a blind man that he is going to go back to school and get his doctorate as a blind man. So he goes to the University of Oregon, and the only reason that he's able to do it is that his wife was willing to read every book that he needed to read out loud to him and then type all of his papers that he would verbally process to her. She does this for years. They get through it. They continue their life. They have a family, all while blind. He becomes a professor, all these things. And then fast forward quite a few years, he tells us that he had the opportunity to have cornea transplants. And so he has this surgery, and he regains his vision after like 20 years of being a blind man. And I was, uh, I was a very young married man at this time, and we had just had our first child. And so I'm in that middle of that, like, understanding what it means to be a dad. And so I catch something that nobody else in the class caught, and I, and I said, are you telling me that you had three children that you had never seen in their entire lives? And then one day you wake, from, wake up from surgery, and the, and the first thing that you see is the faces of your children. And he says, yeah. And I said, what, what was that moment like? And he just started to like tear up and he says, I, I don't, I have no words for that. And I started crying because I'm a baby and I had a baby, right? And it was just this moment, I started thinking about that moment for Dr. Berger He had been blind for decades, and then he opens his eyes for the first time, and he sees his children. And how much more amazing is it if you've been blind your whole life, and you open your eyes for the first time, and you see the face of God staring back at you? How incredible would this moment be for those men? I know the two stories are different, but they... They just play on each other so well, and it just blows my mind. These men have probably lived their whole lives mainly just begging for food and money so they can survive. And then one day, they open their eyes and they see the compassionate face of God in the flesh staring back at them. And I love the way that this story ends as well, because it says that Jesus sternly tells them, which you don't get a lot of Jesus sternly saying things, But he says, see to it that you don't tell anybody. And what do they do? They immediately go tell everybody. The guy just healed you from blindness and you can't do the one thing he asked you to do. Because they're just blown away. And they have to go tell everybody. Or maybe Jesus is protecting them. Because he knows that if they go around and start using titles like Lord and son of David, that that's going to really upset the religious leaders, and they might try to kill them. Or maybe he's just trying to bring the crowds down a little bit because everyone's already following him, and this is another story that's going around. Or Maybe the Roman soldiers who patrol that area wouldn't take too kindly to hearing that there's another king who's doing miraculous things, and so maybe he's just trying to do that. But regardless, his words of warning are to not tell anybody, and yet they go immediately and begin to testify, and it says that they spread his fame throughout all that district. If you got to be a little side character in the Bible, 
wouldn't that be a pretty amazing thing to be said of you? That you went out and you spread the fame of Jesus throughout your whole area of living. What a blessing it would be to be remembered for being one of those men. Right after that short story, Matthew immediately tells us another. In verse 32 through 34, a very short story. Right after that, again it says, as they were going away, so he can't even leave. He just, as they're going, behold, a demon-oppressed man who was mute was brought to him. And when the demon had been cast out, the mute man spoke, and the crowds marveled, saying, never has anything like this seen in Israel. But the Pharisee said, he casts out demons by the prince of demons. So Jesus has restored the sight to the blind. Now he's restoring the voice of the mute who had been possessed by a demon. And as soon as he does all of this, the crowds or the multitudes begin to marvel. And they say, never was anything like this seen in Israel. And they aren't only marveling because what Jesus did was incredible. These are crowds of Jewish people that have grown up going to synagogue and hearing the word regularly. And they understand the signs of the Messiah. They begin probably to put these things together. And they might remember a scripture like Isaiah 35, which says, speaking of the Messiah that's to come, then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. They start to remember these prophecies of Isaiah. And they start saying, this guy, Jesus, is making the blind see and he's unstopping the tongue of the mute and they're crying out for joy. They start to put these things together and they are astonished by what they're seeing. And so the crowds begin to declare that he is the Messiah as he's doing these miraculous things by the power of God. But then the Pharisees immediately grow jealous and they declare, no, he's only doing this because the devil's helping him do this. Immediately they take what is from God and meant for good and they say, no, it's evil because they're jealous. See, they can no longer claim that Jesus isn't a miracle worker. Too much has happened. They can't sweep that under the rug. But what they try to do is they say, ah, he's doing miracles, but the devil's doing it. They're bearing witness to the power of God and yet they claim that it's evil. In these two stories we've looked at so far, we've seen two very different reactions to Jesus. Those are being healed by Jesus, and some of those who are watching Jesus do these things, they look at him and they declare, this is the Messiah. This is the Savior that we've been waiting for, the fulfillment of all prophecy, and they call him Lord and Master. The Pharisees' reaction is the opposite. They declare that he is a liar, a fraud, a servant of evil. Two polar opposite views of Jesus. Extreme views. Hopefully, most of us in here fall into that first camp of he's Lord and Savior. Hopefully, nobody in this room falls into that Jesus is evil and working for the devil camp. 
But there's something interesting too, is there's this third reaction to Jesus that we're going to see again in the chronology of the story. We actually have to jump back to Mark chapter 6, if you want to follow along. We'll be Mark chapter 6, and right after these two short stories that Matthew tells us, we go back to a story that the synoptic gospels tell us, and he goes back after this to Nazareth, to his hometown, where he's been before, and it tells us in Mark chapter 6, verse 1, he went away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him, and on the Sabbath he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things? What is this wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. And he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went about among the villages teaching. So Jesus goes back to his hometown where he grew up. He goes to the synagogue to their church and he's he's going to teach which is common for him he does this in just about every city that he goes into he comes as a guest rabbi and he begins to teach but the people look at him and they are offended by him and they begin to say things like isn't that Mary's kid isn't he just a car like I think he helped build my house I know his brothers and sisters. I remember him when he was a little kid. Even by referring to him as Mary's son, they're being instigative. They're judging because in their culture, somebody would always be known as the son of their father. And there's been rumors in Nazareth for Jesus' entire life that Mary was unfaithful to Joseph. And so they're hitting those rumors again. They're talking bad about him. They're casting dispersion upon him by saying he's the son of Mary. They're basically calling Jesus an illegitimate child. And they're saying, who's this guy? They're offended by him. And they actually seem to get irritated that he would even come and try to teach them. This reaction, I think is a reaction of a lot of people in our world today. They, they may not call Jesus evil. They may say, ah, he was a great teacher, but whatever. And, and they're not going to call him Lord, but, but they're offended that he would come and say, this is the truth. This is the way. This is the life. They are so offended by him that they are irritated that he would even think of himself as important enough to teach them Some worship him as Lord, some declare him evil, but many are offended by his very existence. They're just kind of like, who does this guy think he is? And Jesus responds to their reactions by declaring his well-known words, a prophet is not without honor except in his own hometown, among his relatives and his own household. 
Jesus is here among his own family and the people that he grew up around, and they can't see who he is. All they can see is that they knew him as a boy and the rumors that swirled around his entire life. Even his family, we see in different stories, even some of his brothers like James, who later becomes one of the leaders in the church at Jerusalem, doesn't believe in this at that time, probably for the same reason that if somebody told you your sibling was the Messiah, you'd be like, no. Right? They probably irritated at Jesus because Jesus never did anything wrong. Right? He was always mom's favorite. Right? So even they don't believe until they see him resurrected again. I can tell you from experience, it's not easy to serve in ministry in the town you grew up in. Because I was a pastor in my hometown for five years, and there was a whole lot of people saying, weren't you? And Yeah, that was me. Back then. But for a very different reason. Jesus was perfect. He didn't have those stories where like, weren't you the idiot? Who? No, no, that, not me. But this is Jesus, right? It should be different. He should have honor in his hometown. And yet, they despise him. They are offended by him. And then at the end of that verse, verse 5, it says something wild. I don't know if you caught this. This is one of the most, like, confusing verses in the Bible to me, I'll tell you. It says, He could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. It doesn't say he wouldn't. It says he couldn't. What do you mean Jesus couldn't? He's Jesus. He's God. And I don't have a perfect answer for, you, for this, other than say a lot of the old Bible commentators just say that God would not allow his power to go out into a group of people that are never going to accept Jesus. People that are just pursuing miracles and not pursuing God, and they're never going to be willing to. He doesn't want to cast his pearls before the swine, and maybe that's it. But just the idea that this says the lack of faith was so strong amongst those people that Jesus couldn't do miraculous things. But then I also think it's funny because it says he couldn't do miraculous things except for heal some people who are sick, as if that's, like, not a big deal. Like, oh, I mean, he healed some sick people, but, like, other than that, like, I would love to heal some sick people. I'd be pretty stoked about that. He does that, and he's like, ah, I couldn't do all that much. One last thing I want to say as we begin to wrap up for today. You notice the first part of the very last verse that we read, verse 6, kind of the first part of it, it says that Jesus marveled because of their unbelief. Marveled is a word that's used in the Bible a lot. It means to marvel or to wonder at. And Jesus only marvels twice. The Greek word is thalmazo. It's only used for Jesus two times. One is here where Jesus marvels at the unbelief of these people, his countrymen, the good religious folks that should have believed in him, but they didn't because they were offended by him. He marvels at their unbelief. The only other time that it's said that Jesus marvels is a story you may remember from earlier in our gospel series 
when the Roman centurion comes to Jesus and asks Jesus to heal his servant. Jesus goes and he's going to go to his house and heal his servant, but then the, the centurion comes and he says, don't even bother coming to my house. If you just say the word, my servant will be healed. And Jesus marvels at his faith. Not the good Jewish religious guy, the Gentile Roman centurion is the one who has such incredible faith. He says, Jesus, you don't even need to come to my house. You just say the word and it'll be done. And it says that Jesus marvels at him. It says that, uh, he says in Luke chapter 7 verse 9, he says, when Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. And turning to the crowd that followed him, he said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. It's the Gentile soldier. The one that probably knew very little about the scriptures. The one who's not the right kind of person. He's the one that believes Jesus and Jesus marvels at him. And as I read through this this week, it, was just, it just hit me that my prayer for myself, my prayer for our church, is that we would cause Jesus to marvel because of the belief that we have in his power and in his word and in the work that he's doing in our lives and in this world. And that we would never cause him to marvel at our lack of faith because we are offended by him. Or because he just becomes too common to us because we've been around him forever. And it's like, that's ah, Jesus. I know his brother and his sisters. No, he is God in flesh. My prayer is that we would marvel and that we would be in wonderment and continually marvel at him and his power that we might bring him glory and honor and that we would never become those who are just offended by Jesus because he tells us there is truth, there is reality, there is life. And so often so many people in this world are just offended when he says this is the truth. But when we come and we just say, Jesus, you're Lord, you're Master, you are the Son of David, then we worship him. May it be said of us that Jesus would marvel at our faith. I know that's a pretty bold thing to say. But man, if I ever got to heaven and he says, well done, good and faithful servant, and he said, I, I marveled at your faith. Man, that would be the most amazing moment in my afterlife. Let's pray. Jesus, we pray that we would be a people that would believe so strongly in your power and in your work and in your word that you would do amazing things among us. God, that we would never be a church where you come and can't do miraculous things amongst us because we just don't believe that you will. I know it's hard for us because we don't see things like children raised from the dead very often. We don't see these healings, but God, we know that you can. We know that you can do the miraculous we know that you've done miraculous things in our lives, that you've brought us 
from the edge of death back to life, that you've brought us from sin to glory. We know that you do miraculous things every single day, and let us not miss out on those things. Lord, would we bring you glory and honor through our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.